We're glad to be together at the end of this Lord's Day. It's a great way to begin a Sunday, great way to end a Sunday, and uh, the singing was beautiful. We are going to be in the Old Testament tonight, and as you're turning back to the history of Israel in 2 Kings chapter 5, let me remind you of the old adage that those who can't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. That's one of the reasons we study the Old Testament. Some people might point out that we're not under the Old Covenant any longer, and they might draw the wrong conclusion that we shouldn't preach from the Old Testament. It's true that the New Covenant says that the Old Law was set aside and nailed to the cross. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. However, the Bible also says in Romans 15, verse 4, that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Not only that, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, we read that the Stories in the Old Testament were written as examples and uh, written for our instruction. There's much that we can learn from the history that we find in the Old Testament. And uh, we find there that many people made dreadful mistakes. And if we don't learn from their, their mistakes, we're doomed to repeat their mistakes. And so we're going to look this, this evening at the blunders of an army captain named Naaman. And Naaman was the commander of a Syrian army, not uh, Israel, as some people suppose. Syria was an on-again, off-again enemy of Israel. And the contrasts in this man's life are apparent from verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 5. Look at it. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. He was afflicted with this terrible, contagious, incurable disease of leprosy. And it had doomed him to a shortened life and for the rest of his life, he would spend it in isolation and uh, in pain and torture. And so this is how Naaman is introduced with this contrast. He's this courageous man who is afflicted with leprosy. Now there's a little servant girl in his house who was an Israelite. She was captured in a raid and made a servant. And she told her mistress, Naaman's wife, about a man in Israel named Elisha who could heal his leprosy. And so that's where our story begins. And also where Naaman's many blunders begin. So let's look at them as we go through this story from 2 Kings chapter 5. Here's the first mistake that he made. He went to the wrong man. The little girl told her mistress that he should go to Elisha. But he went to his king, the king of Syria, named Ben-Hadad, 
And he asked his king to appeal to the king of Israel. And we read about this in verses 5 through 7. The king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. He thought maybe this was something might start a war off between Syria and Israel. He was offended that Naaman would do that. And it was a very confusing and disorienting time. When we get the wrong person or the wrong place, it can often be disorienting. Um, there was one time where we've been to a lot of basketball games over the last several months. And um, a few weeks ago, we went to the high school uh, looking for Jackson's junior high game. We, went to the high, we mistakenly went into the high school gym instead of the junior high gym. And uh, Jackson's team is green, and uh, we saw a lot of players wearing green out there. And so we started to get settled, and we realized we didn't recognize any of the boys out there. And that's because it was Pelham, not Leeds, that was playing in that gym. And we were in the high school gym instead of the junior high. And it took a while, even after somebody was telling us, it took a while for our minds to catch up with what was going on. When you get to the wrong place, it just can be very disorienting. Uh, the church where I served as youth minister was next door to a, a denomination, and these two buildings were very close together. And a friend from my hometown was passing through Birmingham, and he thought he would stop in and surprise me with a visit. But on one Wednesday night when he was coming by to see me, he accidentally went into the church next door. And he was telling me about it later when he finally figured out what was going on. He said, I walked in there, and then there was a, a band playing. And he thought, why would Drew be here? And he said, then a woman got up and was leading prayer. And he said, Drew's changed his views on a lot of things. And then he finally realized, I'm in the wrong building. And he went next door and, and found me and figured everything out. Well, it can be rather disorienting when you go to the wrong place and Naaman had gotten the wrong man. He went to the king instead of Elisha. Now, whenever that's a ball game or a church service, it can be confusing. But when it has to do with matters of life and death, like with Naaman, it can be really tragic. And too often, we appeal to the wrong source for our spiritual disease of sin. Some sense the emptiness inside of them. They know they're meant for more than this world, and they look for answers through substance abuse, alcohol, drugs. They know that God has put eternity in their heart, and something is missing. But whenever they go to alcohol, for example, or drugs, they find that the answer is not there. It only makes their problems worse. Others seek fulfillment in their work. 
and they climb the ladder and they might be very successful, but they get to the top or they get to retirement and they don't know what their life is all about. They realize too late that they've been living for the wrong thing. Some turn to forms of religion not supported by the Bible and they try to have God their own way and they're misled and follow practices and beliefs that aren't according to the scriptures. Still others try to get by on borrowed faith. Maybe their parents were faithful and they think that's good enough for them. Some blindly accept the word of their preachers, which I don't think anybody should do in any place, including here. I think the Bereans are a great example in Acts 17 who sat at the feet of Paul but searched the scriptures daily to see whether what he was preaching was so. And so they went to the source. They went to the right place, God's word, for direction in life. Well, Naaman started off on the wrong foot because he went to the wrong person when he was searching for the cure, even after his servant girl told him where he could go. But then he made another blunder. When he found Elisha and he heard the remedy, he misunderstood the remedy. Let's keep reading. Now, coming to verse 10, where he's at Elisha's door. I think it's interesting, Elisha never comes out to him, but he sends his messenger out to this army commander who probably felt he was more important than Elisha. He sends the messenger out, verse 10 says, with these instructions, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. Very clear instructions. That's your remedy. But Naaman, verse 11 says, was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. He was given the remedy, but he misunderstood it. And I think he misunderstood it because he was trying to figure it out. He was trying to find some, we would say, scientific reasoning behind it, comparing the cleaner waters of Damascus, for example, to the waters of the Jordan. You know, sometimes we don't understand the remedy. Uh, this might be a weird example, but when I smell a paper bag, I think about a time when I was in kindergarten and my nose started bleeding, and for some reason, my kindergarten teacher rolled up a paper, part of a paper sack, and put it put water on it and stuffed it up in my upper lip. And it didn't stop the bleeding, but that was something that she had learned to do about stopping bloody noses. Now, a lot of times people will say, when your nose starts bleeding, they'll say, hold your head back, hold your head back. And they think that's the remedy for a bloody nose. That's not the remedy for a bloody nose. That's what grandma said to keep your blood off her couch. <laughs> that, she wasn't trying to cure your bloody nose. She was just trying to keep her furniture clean and it got passed down, you know, what you do is you, you pinch your nose and you, you stop the bleeding that way. Well, we get remedies confused sometimes. We don't understand what's behind them. And that's what's going on with Naaman. It's like 
trying to remedy a bloody nose and not understanding the science behind it. He's, he's so confused because he had expectations of what would happen. And there's more reasons for why he was confused that we'll get to a little bit later. But what we need to understand right here under this point is when God gives his remedy, it is simple. And he's not trying to trick us because he wants us to be saved. It's like we were talking about this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires for all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what God wants. And if he wants us to be saved, why would he try to confuse us? He gives us a straightforward remedy in his son, Jesus Christ. Could Christ have been clearer than what he has already stated? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Mark 16, 16. Why do you wait? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. These are very simple statements. Just like go and wash in the Jordan River seven times and you will be cleansed. But if we start trying to overthink it like Naaman did here, will misunderstand the remedy. Here's a third blunder. He thought the answer was too simple. Actually, that's the fourth one. I didn't put the third one on the slide, so, so uh, I'll keep you in suspense about number four, and we'll talk about number three. Number three, he wanted to substitute. Now, his initial reaction was that of rage, and we've read those verses in verses 11 and 12. And he's asking, aren't the rivers of Damascus cleaner? Now, I read a little prejudice into that. I don't know that there's any reason why those rivers in Damascus would be considered cleaner than the Jordan River. He was a Syrian, and so he thought his rivers were better than the rivers of Israel. But he wanted to substitute his way for God's way. Now, does that sound very familiar? We have examples of that today. You can think of the analogies, right? I think salvation, some say, is by faith alone. And uh, baptism is not necessary for salvation. Some people say that. Some people might say, well, I think God's grace means there are no conditions for salvation whatsoever. Because grace is opposed to any kind of obedience. And, and therefore, if we're saved by grace... We have no responsibilities. Some people might say, well, I think God is too loving to condemn anybody to hell. And others say, well, I think what my parents did is good enough for me. Others might say, well, I think the preacher's too judgmental. Others say, I think traditional worship styles are out of date. Others say, I think God is satisfied with religion however we want to do it. And they're using the same process of Naaman. Go back and look at his words in verse 11. He was angry and he went away saying, Behold, I thought... And that's what people are saying today. I had this expectation and I want to substitute my way for God's way. But on Judgment Day, God is going to be the judge. 
And not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Back in the 20s, in Major League Baseball, there were a lot of guys with the nickname Babe. Of course, you've heard of Babe Ruth. But there was an umpire named Babe Pinelli. And one time, Babe Pinelli was calling strikes on Babe Ruth. And uh, he, he called him out on the third strike. And so uh, Ruth looked at him as the crowd was jeering and booing, and he said, there are about 40,000 people who disagree with that call. And Pinelli looked at him and he said, yeah, but my opinion is the only one that counts. God's opinion in matters of salvation is the only one that counts. And so we can have our thoughts, as Naaman did, but it doesn't matter because God is the judge. And so why not listen to him? Now, let's get to this next one. Another blunder that he made is he thought the answer was too simple. Um, and so his servants had to come and reason with him after he had been trying to substitute the rivers of Damascus. In verse 13, his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? And so he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. We wonder why did he have such a hard time with this? And sometimes the answer is so simple, it's hard for us to believe. Because so many things in life are complicated. A lot of things worth doing are big challenges to us. And what could be bigger than salvation from sin? So with Naaman, we think this has got to be some grand gesture. It can't be simple. It has to be overly complicated. And that's when we start substituting again, this time substituting our mind for God's mind. But God warns us against that. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, he says, Behold, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 10, 23, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in a man who walks to direct his steps. We have to be careful about thinking that God has the same thoughts we do. He wants it to be simple, and so let's keep it simple. That's the best thing to do. It. The wisdom of God is greater than ours. Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Of course, there's no foolishness in God and no weakness in God. He's using a figure of speech here to tell us that God is far superior to us in His ways, and so we should just listen to His Word and obey it accordingly. He asks us to do simple things in faith in order to be saved. He asks us, for example, to be baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And there's a parallel in a lot of ways to Naaman. He was asked to dip in water. It wasn't a baptism he was doing. It was, it was part of a miraculous process, but it was an act of faith. And baptism is an act of faith. I've heard people accuse those of us who preach Acts 2.38 of believing in baptismal regeneration, they call it. They say they think the, the water is magical or holy in some way. That's not what we teach. We teach what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, that the act of baptism is an act of faith whereby we demonstrate our belief in the gospel, that is, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So Paul says, as many of you as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ is raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so it's not even the same as Naaman. There was no symbolism involved in what Naaman was doing. Maybe the number seven indicated some kind of perfection, and maybe the waters indicated some cleansing. But there's some rich symbolism involved in baptism that makes sense. And God is saying it's an act of faith, and He's saying it's not that the water is going to cleanse you, it's that when you believe that I will save you at this point, when you go down into the waters of baptism, you're going to leave that old man of sin down there in the grave where he belongs. And when you come up, there will be a resurrection, a spiritual resurrection. You will be raised with Christ, and you will live eternally with me. I think that's very simple, but I think there's a reason why it's simple. And it goes back to what we were saying before, that God doesn't want anybody to be lost but he wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. One last blunder to talk about here. Finally, Naaman tried to pay for his cure. This is the way it works in the world. We pay for medical services. Doctors and nurses and other medical professionals, they have to eat too. And uh, we pay them for their services and we need those services. And there's an exchange. And so it's odd to us sometimes to think that this greatest cure of all could be free. And Naaman had trouble with that with regard to his leprosy. If you look at verse 15, he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. But Elisha, he wouldn't accept the gift. You know, we have trouble believing that salvation could be free. But it has to be free. Because if we paid what it cost, we wouldn't live through the process. You see, it has to be paid for by life. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And it's either our life or the life of Jesus. Jesus died as our substitute on the cross so that we could live. And that, friends, has to be an act of grace. It's not deserved. It is a gift from God. And that's why Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, 
By grace you are saved through faith. And it is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. But that doesn't mean we don't respond with obedience and service in the kingdom of God. Because Paul goes on to write in verse 10 that we are His workmanship created in good works so that we should walk in them. God creates us when He saves us by grace into a people who are zealous for good works. It's by grace. We can't pay for it. There's no gift that we could give in exchange for salvation through Jesus Christ. When we start thinking that we can be good enough for it, or we need to earn it in some way, or we've got to compete with others to be best at this, that's when we start making the mistakes of Naaman, trying to pay for the cure. This is a cure you don't have to pay for. It's a cure that you cannot pay for. And so, as we look at these, we see a lot of analogies to today. We see a lot of similarities. And uh, Naaman may have been a long time ago in a different covenant. He may have been a member of a, a nation that wasn't even among God's covenant people. But the God who was sovereign ruler over his life is the same God who rules over us. And so we see God's behavior and his treatment of Naaman is very similar to the way he treats us. There are just different covenants involved. Do you take God at His word? Do you believe what He has said? Do you believe in Him enough to embrace the grace that He has shown by sending His Son to die for you on the cross? Will you respond or will you complain that what He asks you to do is too simple? He's asked you to believe in the gospel, to confess that and to repent of your sins. He's asked you to be baptized in water for the remission of your sins and to be faithful to Him. He's not asking much compared to what the gift He offers is. But are we going to question it because of its simplicity? Or will we obey, believe and obey and be saved? The choice is yours. We've selected an invitation song to encourage you. Why not come now as we stand and as we sing?